We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So Ryan, let's go to the mailbag. And if you guys mm-hmm. have some questions that you want us to uh, to uh, to answer, I can tell you one. Archer said uh, once, Brian, I want your Arkansas State versus Ohio State analysis. Uh, in the words of uh, Clubber Lang, uh, pain. That's what we're going to see this weekend for uh, the poor. Uh, uh, what are they? They they're the what is their what's the, the Red Wolves? Name? Red Wolves? Wolves. I knew it was some kind of wolf. Yeah. I just couldn't remember what it was. You, do you know? Do you know who their uh, who their quarterback is? I do not. Blackman that used to play for Florida State. Oh wow, he's still in college. Yeah. He's still there. Dear yep. Lord, <laughs> didn't he get beat out last year at one point in time at that for them? He either uh, got beat out or he got hurt. One I remember last that. year yeah. he started at quarterback and somebody somebody beat him out last year. So uh, Lane Hatcher, I thought, is the guy that beat him out. I, I yeah, think he, he tra- uh, I think he transferred. So okay. they, got, they got James Blackman now. So that's not good. That's not good. <laughs> yeah, he is <laughs> at Texas good. State. Ryan uh, Lane gotcha. Hatcher's at Texas State. Uh, he did okay in this first game. J- old, old James. He did. Uh, he went fifteen to twenty for two hundred ten yards and two touchdowns, no picks against Grambling. So hey, you know man, it's a good start. It's progress. The fighting Hugh, the height and, what, what's the what's that guy's name? Hugh, Hugh um, Jackson. Hugh Jackson, Jackson. The fighting Hugh Jacksons. Yeah. So yep. there you go. There you go. So we we will not be doing an Ohio State Arkansas Arkansas State uh, preview this week, man. If you, you that know. that was actually my upset pick of the week. So yeah, Wouldn't that, <laughs> suck? that sucks so bad. That would just like oh my gosh, that would suck so bad. I would just quit. I would quit. Let's get going. Domer Grizz among the surprise players who didn't play on Saturday was Prince Collie. Prince Collie played. He just didn't play on defense. He did play on special teams. Uh, but do you expect him to play this weekend, especially since Maris was inconsistent last week? And how can he improve? Uh, no, again, I want to warn everybody, stop overreacting to one game. Maris Lufau hadn't played a game of football since January, since December of 2020. Yeah, He did some nice things Saturday. He did some things that he's got to get better at. There's no doubt, but you're not going to overreact. Ah, screw it. Put him on the bench, right? Uh, Prince didn't play for a reason, right? He has not, he's not a guy. Ryan asked me this before the show. He said, and all your intel stuff, when you talk to sources, was there ever a time when, like, Prince's name came up? And it was like, not since fall camp started. He got some stuff during the summer about how he already worked and all that. But, yeah. you know, not as far as playing linebacker. So they need to get Maris going. 
That's the key. It's not about just replacing a bunch of dudes who didn't play well against Ohio State. It's about who you think your best players are, getting them rolling, getting them going. And there's no doubt that Maris is one of their best players. Now, if if Prince is going to play this weekend, I hope he does. I hope all the linebackers play because that means Notre Dame dominates. And I hope that Prince gets in there and, and gets some opportunity to play because I think that's the thing for Prince Colley, Ryan, is this is a kid that's still learning the linebacker position. He didn't really play linebacker in high school. He was a running back, receiver, rover, safety, edge rusher. I mean, he did a little bit of everything, and he's still learning the position. He's got a lot of Jeremiah Wusukoromoa in him in that regard because he is learning. Jeremiah would never play that position either, and he didn't get on the field until his third year. Now, he would have played special teams in his second year if he didn't get hurt, but he was not battling for time as a rover in 2019. He wasn't. It wasn't until 2020 he really emerged into that role. And I think Prince is going to need some time. We have to be patient with him for those reasons. But if he can push himself, then maybe he could earn some time. But I would rather see him at Mike than yes. Will taking snaps away from Maris because uh, you, that's just, I think, a position maybe he's more comfortable in. I also want to see JT Tui Alamaka this week as well. Uh, that's a guy that I want to see playing more because the play at, like the play at Mike linebacker has got to be better. And so – I'm going to want to see some of those guys play a little bit. Again, I'm not overreacting and say, hey, don't play that guy. J.D. can't play. Well, J.D. JD's got had some good moments, but he's got to, he's got to play better. But I'm going to have a little less patience for the guys that, have, that played a bunch of football last year, you know, when, they, when they're still kind of showing some of the same things that we saw last year. But he is playing a different position than he did last year, so give him a little bit of time as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Full house backfield with a super chat. I like what you did there. 1842. That's good. That's good. I dig that. I get offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators have different skills and scheme and play calling, but do they both generally know offense and defense and how to attack react? Meaning can Golden and Marcus Freeman help Reese or does Reese know defensive principles? Um, Tommy Reese did not get to this point by not knowing defenses. I mean, again, he did not have a great game against Ohio state. It doesn't dismiss the big games that they had last year doesn't dismiss how they shredded Oklahoma state last year. Right. Can again, let's not overreact to one game. And I think it's the influence of Marcus Freeman. That is part of the reason the offense didn't look good last week. And that's not my opinion. That's coming from Marcus Freeman's mouth. And he's been saying it all off season. I mean, it's kind of like he's been telling us this was going to be the case. So like if, if Marcus Freeman would come out after the game and said, Hey, look, I, this is what I, this is the game plan I wanted. I'd have been like, maybe he's just covering for his coaches. But he's been saying this since the summer. 
Mm-hmm. He's been saying since the summer that they're, this is how they're going to play against Ohio State, and they did. And Ohio State was prepared for it, so maybe they shouldn't have said it as much as they did during the, during the offseason. But that's a different conversation for a different day. But, look, coordinators always help each other if if it's a good staff. There's always com- conversation like, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm wanting to run this concept. What would be a way I could do it that could give you problems? Mm-hmm. You know, and you, you, you do that with your def- offensive line coach. You know, hey, Harry, we're trying to come up with a pressure against this mic protection and – you know, what are some things that you could do? This is the way that they do it that could give you problems. Oh, this is what we really don't want to see. I coached on the team once, Ryan. First of all, there's a funny comment. Somebody said somebody said that, you know, Marcus Freeman, that my concern with Marcus Freeman is something about rudimentary knowledge of offenses. And I'm like, you cannot be a successful defensive coordinator if you have a rudimentary understanding of offense. You can't be a good defense, offensive coordinator if you have a rudimentary understanding of defenses. Like, you know what I studied more in the offseason than I didn't study other offenses. I studied defenses. What are teams doing defensively that I have to have an answer for? And and same thing with defensive. Now you'll go to clinics and talk to other teams, uh, offensive coaches. Hey man, what are you guys doing against this three? Like there was a time early in my coach career where like the three, three stack was becoming a thing. Not like we see it now, but like Mm -hmm. it was, it was like a bigger, like it was just weird. And so, you know, you, you, so you talk to other offenses, you know, are you guys seeing this? What, you know, what'd you guys do to shred it? Well, this is what we did, you know, but it's kind of that way, but you're still talking about defenses. You're not talking mm-hmm. about, Hey, how do you guys run smash? Well, okay. <laughs> I can tell you how we run smash, but it's always going to be relative to the defenses you play on your schedule. And this is what I've always said when you'd see these offensive coaches going to clinics and they'd always go to where the other offensive coaches were talking and they, oh, what scheme are you guys? What's your guys' top three pass schemes? I'm like, well, okay, he's going to tell you that, but what does that mean for you? How does that translate to what your personnel is? Do you have a quarterback that can execute those things? Are the defenses you're facing conducive to that? You know, so there's all types. And so, like, I've told a story about, you know, about how when I was at Duquesne, where we hit a big play against, you know, against cover two on double posts. Well, in theory, you're not supposed to have success against that. So, if we're playing a bunch of teams that play cover two and they play cover two correctly, the reason we beat Robert Morris with the double post is because they didn't play cover two correctly because their boundary safety or their field safety would flat foot. You can't flat foot as a cover two guy because he wanted to come downhill and hit. He was a pit transfer that just always wanted to come downhill and make a play. Not the kind of guy you want playing cover two. You know what I mean? If you play cover two correctly, you're taking away double posts. So that can't be your bread and butter if your schedule's filled with a bunch of teams playing cover two. And that's my point. So I could explain to you how great we were at double posts because we played a lot of cover three and cover four teams. Well, if you're playing a schedule with a bunch of cover two teams, then it, it I can break it down to you, but you're wasting your time because you're just not going to be able to run it as effectively as we did. And so that's the thing is like, you're actually studying the other side of the ball. And so just that's kind of how it is. Now that's where coordinators help each other. Ryan is, you know, like uh, I've talked to you, my buddy of mine, Justin Lustig, who's now coaches at, at, uh, at Vanderbilt. But that's he's the guy that I'd spend most of my time talking with when we were coaching together at Christopher Newport was it was not the other offensive coaches. It was Justin like, hey, man, you know, we're, we're, we're playing press man. Here's how I'm going to teach this, you know, the slant technique. You know, what do you think? Well, here's how I would counter it. OK, well, then, OK, here's what I want to do. And here's how I would counter it. Or he'd say, hey, Juris, we're going to come up. We're going to play more man this week. You know, here's this other how what this other team is doing. You know, what are some things you think we can do to kind of help against it? And those are the things that you do. So there should be a lot of interaction between offensive and defensive coaches. And Marcus Freeman had talked a lot about that when he was defensive coordinator. He talked a lot about that last year, how much him and Tommy communicated with different things. 
And so, yes, I do think they help each other, but not in the way that I think the question is phrased. It's not to help Tom Reese have a better understanding of defensive principles. It's about mm -hmm. what are some things that could give us, if we're doing this, problems. And what I was going to say is when I was at Muhlenberg, uh, our defensive coordinator, our head coach was Mike Donnelly, who was who had come from – he was a long-time defensive coordinator, come from Columbia. Our entire playbook was literally created by him. And the playbook was built around all the stuff that he had a hard time stopping when he was a defensive coordinator. That was our playbook. And it's a part of the reason he won, you know, because he's like, well, look, if I can't stop it, then nobody else is going to be able to stop it, you know? And uh, and he was right. And that's why he was able to build Muhlenberg into such a, a, an excellent program for such a long period of time. And and so, yes, that's those are those are things that you can always, always do, right? Do you want to take a crack at that as well? Matt, I, I think that you hit it on the head. It's it's the intricacies of playing defensive football. It's not as much the schematics of playing it. Like I, I Tommy Reese, for instance, because you used him as an example, he's gonna understand four two five. This is what a you know, just a general what a rover's responsibilities are in this defense. But to your point, right? It's it's what if I'm gonna throw this at them, how are they gonna counter it? Because football is a it's a chess match. That I th think that you've said that before, Brian, that, that was your one of the things you miss about it, right? Is yeah. the fact of like the, the mental next chess step. match. Right. What's the next step, right? Like what you is think you're taking away my counter? best play with this coverage, but in reality, I got something. Exactly. Exactly. And, and how do you get there? It's a psychological game, right? It's understanding right. what they're thinking, what they might do, what their counter could be. It's almost like a guessing game to a degree, but if you do it well, it's, it doesn't become a guessing game. It becomes just kind of you're being proactive with your approach, right? So I agree. I, I think that. That was also my favorite part of coaching too, was especially when you're calling a defense is trying to guess, you know, what play is coming based upon what the down and distance is and what the situation is and what formation they line up into. And, you know, is, is there motion? Are they trading? Whatever it would be, those things bring a situational understanding of why an offense would want to do that. So why do they want to do that? Right. It's, it's like the general thing of like, I come from an education background I always wanted students not to ask – I didn't want them to ask how to do something. I want them to ask why they're doing something, right? And what, why am I doing this? Why, why is this helping me? Why is this helping my process? And in order to do that, I think you need to understand both sides of it, right? Game, football is an offensive versus defensive game. If I don't understand what an offense is trying to do to me, how can I understand how I'm going to counter potentially the next move, right? So that's kind of the big process for me. I want to address something here real quick, Ryan, that mm -hmm. was was asked. And, and there were some people that that answered this specific person. But just in case there are others who maybe mm -hmm. aren't in the chat or have a question. And it says, um, uh, Mr. Shaughnessy said, fellas, uh, is the game on available on is the game only available on Peacock? No, it is available. All, all Notre Dame home games are available on Peacock. The only game that is only available on Peacock is the UNLV game. So that'll be the only game that's only available on, UK, uh, on Peacock. So I just wanted to make sure that people understood that. Make sure we got that question asked. John A1 with a question. He says, I want to see if Marcus Freeman can adjust as a head coach, see his overall philosophy match, what he had as a defense coordinator, which was I'm not going to ask players to do things. They're uh, going to have a hard time being successful, but allow the offense to call a game where they can actually be their best. I need to see a much better identity of this football team established. Ryan, I uh, – that's not I even a question. Completely. That's a comment. Yeah. And I think yes. he nailed it. I think yeah. he nailed it. John, that's my biggest thing too in this game is I want to see identity, right? Because I, I 
I don't. I think what we left the Ohio State game not really understanding exactly what this team wants to be, especially on the offensive side of the football. Like I'm not sure what they want to be as as an offensive football team. So I want to see if there's more trust in playmakers, if offensive linemen play better, all that nuance to kind of the offensive side of the football and the defensive side of the football. Like we already talked about the defensive line. I thought played okay in spurts, but like I didn't think they played overall well. If if I would kind of quantify it like that, right? So I mean, it's a big game to kind of. This is where this is almost your like your test game as far as like this is what our identity is going to be. So like we want to kind of make sure that our, it kind of fits and it assimilates a little bit, right? So I agree completely. Like, this is a big identity understanding type of game for Notre Dame, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yep, good stuff, John. Uh, Johnny Wentz is also Tyree needs to play running back. The slot play was a decent wrinkle, but it needs to be just that a wrinkle. Allow the wide receivers the, an opportunity to be effective. I agree with that wholeheartedly. 100%. And, and he says it again. Chris Tyree seems to consistently be the back with the highest yards per carry average in their name. Why isn't he used uh, as more of a running threat? It's It feels the staff is determined to use him as a hybrid running back slot guy. I agree. And I don't think that's the way to go. I don't think that's properly using Chris Tyree. Uh, that There's there's times for that, right? I mean, I'm, I'm okay with that at times. Yeah. But it, it it only works if you're going to do other things out of it. Yes. That's my point. T- t- Brian, I, I don't know if this is like a, a – I don't know if this is just a unique opinion for me or not, but Chris Tyree might have been the one guy on both sides of the ball that I thought was the oddest usage during that game. I don't I don't know if that's just me or not. but like He's I one, just one of, for sure. I, I left that game and I'm just like, I don't understand what they were trying to do with Chris. Like I did functionally understand it. Like I understand that you're trying to hit the edge and all that. Sure. Type. Like I get that, but I don't understand why that was the role that they chose to use. Or the only role that. Really. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, to John's point, only other carries were on. Yeah. The only other carries were late in the game on inside zones with like less than a yeah. minute left in the half. Yeah. Like you're not really using them there. I mean, and why not use point, it off the yeah. power read stuff, Ryan? Like, why not use that jet motion off the power read where you get where you get Audric Estime out as sort of a lead blocker for Tyree, and you're running the power read there, where you're at least doing something to to make that in those inside backers think about yeah. okay, I can't just take off for Chris Tyree because then Tyler Buckner's going to pull this thing and hurt us, right? That, th- <laughs> those are the things I didn't quite understand. It just it was just it was just okay, jet sweep. All right, here it comes and against I'm sure the team was- with speed. I'm sure it wasn't a give every time that Chris Tyree was on a, on a jet. It was It really yeah. felt like it. Yeah. It felt like it, though, in real time. And I'm just kind of like, you really pigeonholed this guy into just being a jet sweep guy. Like, that's what you made him in that game. You know, like, it very, made him very niche in that game. And I just think that Chris Tyree can be more than that. Because even if that was just his role as a runner, you need to get him involved in the passing game in some other, you know, unique ways and creative ways. And I just, I just felt like there was not a – great creativity to how to use Chris Tyree in that first game. Mm-hmm. Agree. Agree. Leighton Burkholder says, if Tom Reese does not go back to his normal, more aggressive play calling this weekend, how high is your concern level? And then where is your confidence for the rest of the season? If he doesn't adjust back to what he is, I'll be very concerned about the season. Very concerned. Mm-hmm. But I honestly have no, I have no concern about that. I, I don't. Yeah. I, it Cause it, again, I don't think it's about Tommy Reese. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I just don't, we'll see. We'll see. I could be wrong on that. Um, I'm not saying I'm not taking blame away from Tommy on Saturday. I'm just saying, I think that was a staff decision where this is what they felt they needed to do to protect right. their defense. Hopefully they never make that mistake again and say, look, best way for your offense to protect your defense is to score and mm-hmm. score and score and score. 
that's how you protect your defense, right? Late, late and, not, I'd, I'd even take it up a notch too, Brian. I would say this. If Notre Dame comes out against Marshall and just has a very inept game across the board, yeah. like the offensive line doesn't play better, if your wide receivers aren't being better, you know, working off a of press and creating separation, if the defensive line doesn't have a much better game, if the linebackers don't, you know, play more gap sound and, and make plays, then it's a concern across the board. Like it's right. not just a concern just for just for Tommy Reese. Like that's a concern in general right. because again, there are some positives to take from the Ohio State game. There are. A lot, actually. A, a lot. No, yeah, 100%. So in this game, I think that this is going to be pretty telling of what type of team this is. Not from, yeah. not even from a point-blank on-field perspective, from a mentality perspective, yep. from a growth perspective. Like, there's so many layers from this game. I think you can kind of leave and be like, okay, they're, they'll be all right. They're going to be okay yep. here. Yep. Agree. And and uh, we had a follow-up from 99 problems, but became one. Brian, if it isn't about Tommy Reese, then why wouldn't you have more concern? I would have I would have more thinking it came from above him. It's because, I, I, I keep saying this, I think this was specific to Ohio State. I think this is what they felt they needed to do to keep Ohio State's points down and get Ohio State out of rhythm. And and, and it worked for the defense. That's the thing. is like the game plan, the, the, the Notre Dame offensive game plan worked perfectly for the Notre Dame defense. Because they were able to keep the points down. And and even on some of their names shorter drives, Ryan, they were able to take time off the clock because they huddled and did all that stuff, right? And so it did work for the defense. It just didn't work for the team, which is why you caught yeah. an L. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the defense, hey, your goal is to keep Ohio State's points down. They held them to 21 points. Even on a missed field goal, if they make the field goal, it's 24 points. That's a huge success for Ohio State. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the number of points Bama gave up against them. Actually – the, the they gave up 24 right so if they made the field goal that 24 would have been the same number of points they scored against bama in the in the college football national championship in 2020 right so i mean the two games that they lost last year they scored 27 and 28 points you held them below that number so success for the defense but you don't win like it the the final of that game your record isn't one and one right mm-hmm. we won on offense but we or we won on defense but we lost on offense so you get one one w or l for your you team lost. and yeah. your team got an L because your game plan may have worked for your defense, but it didn't work for your offense. Yep. And so, but I, but my whole thing is I believe it was relative to that specific game. I don't think this is Marcus Freeman dictating to Tommy Reese. This is how we're going to call games. And this is how we're going to go every single week. I don't, mm-hmm. I think it was to this game and I didn't like it. And I fully expect it to change. But what I'm saying is I'm not concerned about it because I don't think this was the long-term thing. However, if we do see that, though, over the next couple weeks, then I will be very concerned. There's no doubt. There's no doubt I'll be concerned because that's going to make me think, like, uh, this uh, This is not good. This is mm-hmm. this is a, a, a great recruiter, recruiter and head coach who's a great defensive coordinator that doesn't understand the modern game. you got to score. I think it was relative to this game, right? And that's why I'm not trying to make any big picture assumptions because it was one game. Let's see how they move forward from it. Because the year Ohio State won a national championship, you would not have thought in week two that they were a team that was going to win a championship. They got beat by two touchdowns at home by Virginia Tech. Teams evolve. Let's give this team a chance to evolve and then make conclusions about what those things are, right? And that's all I'm asking for is not to excuse what we saw last week. I'm not. I think we've made that very clear we're not. It's just that doesn't equal this is what the 2022 football team is going to look like. That's all I'm saying. 
You know, I mean, I mean, Ryan, we've seen it time and time again. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the when Clemson won a, champ, a championship in 2016, their first championship, they lost at home to Pitt in November. I mean, teams have bad games. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's the reality of it. Uh, we talked about we talked about Ohio State back in in uh, 2014 and 2011. Alabama lost at home to LSU nine to six. Right. I mean, teams have bad games. They went on to win a national championship that year. You know, the year that the year that Notre Dame uh, beat or Notre Dame lost to Alabama in the championship, Alabama lost that year at home to Texas A&M and Johnny Manziel. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's just that's life, guys. I mean, that's life. 2015 Alabama won a championship, beat Clemson, lost at home to Ole Miss that year. Was that Bo right? Wallace? Yeah, that was Bo Wallace, Bo Wallace team. Yeah. yeah, gave up four. Yeah. That Alabama team that year only gave up 15 points a game, but they gave up 43 to Ole Miss. Now again, there's some fluky plays. Remember the one that bounced off the kid, and then the other kid right. caught it, and all that. But you still get. I mean, teams have bad games. What we, but you only know that that was a bad game in context. I remember people panicking a little bit about that Alabama team in 2015 when they lost to Ole Miss, because if you remember, they started the year. Wisconsin gave them a game in the opener. Now, it ended up being like 34-17 or something. Wisconsin played Alabama tough that game, which you would expect from a Wisconsin team at the time. And then they got beat by Ole Miss. You're like, this isn't a vintage Alabama team. That's what you yeah. thought in September. But what they look like in November, Ryan, that's the key, right? I mean, they got it done late in the year and went and won a championship. So it's about who you, it's about who you are over the course of a season, not who you are after game one. And you can only know that by playing more games. Like if we, because right. after one game last year, we're thinking this Notre Dame offense is going to be legit. Like this Notre Dame offense is going to be fun this year. This offense is going to be legit because man, did you see how, how they were throwing the ball all over the field and, and they look great and they did this and, you know, Jack Cone threw for 300 some yards and man, this team is going to be really legit. Hey, I know they didn't run the ball that well, but man, they threw for a bunch of yards and then look at the weapons in the pass game and blah, 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 blah. And then what happened? That offense disappeared over the next month, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't really know. You don't really know. And that team that you thought you looked great against that opening week, man, Florida State is back. They lost to Jacksonville State the next week, right? <laughs> so one game is one game. We got to see it. We got to see how it evolves over the course of the year before we can really say definitively, this is who they are. And, and no matter what I feel about Tommy Reese as a person or any in, any feelings I have about Marcus Freeman as a person, and I've made him very known, I'm a big fan of Marcus Freeman as a, in a, as a person. I think he's going to win at Notre Dame. But the reality is, is if he makes decisions that don't work, that's our job is to point them out. And we will. It's just we pointed them out in the game one, but I think people are trying to translate that into everything else. Every single coach, including Nick Saban, Goes into a game with a game plan they think is going to work, and it doesn't work. It happens to everybody. It's happened to Dabo. It's happened to Saban. It happened to Urban. I mean, Urban got caught a thirty-one to nothing L in the college football playoff to Clemson one year. You know what I'm saying? It happens. What do you do from it? That's what, I, and that goes back to the original thing, Ryan. Is we're going to learn about this football team this week mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. how they respond to it, and that's coaches and players alike. 100%. There's no doubt about it. All right, next one. Good questions today, everybody, and enjoying this discussion. Blaine Tiller said, I have a hard time deciding a worse game day coach between Franklin, Harbaugh, and Kelly. Look, I am a big Brian <laughs> Kelly critic. 
But I am Brian Kelly does not deserve to be in the same conversation as James Franklin as a bad game day coach. Either does Harbaugh. Either does Jim Harbaugh. Either. I'm no, say, either does Jim Harbaugh. Harbaugh. It's no. James Franklin. It's James How Franklin. would you rank those three? I, I would actually put Harbaugh ahead of Kelly. I think Jim Harbaugh is a pretty decent game day coach. I, honestly, like I would, I would have said that. Harb, I probably would have went with Harbaugh first, but like if someone said Kelly over Harbaugh, I'd be like, okay, fine. Sure. I, I'm not going to argue it. Like I those, just, it's like it's like a one A one B type yeah, of thing for me. You know? I and can't then it's get past clear... with Kelly. I can't get past like Tulsa 2010, sure. Northwestern 2010, his weird yep. two point conversion philosophy. You know, like there's just enough of that for I'm going to rank him behind Harbaugh. But Harbaugh's yeah. also done some weird stuff. Where you're like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, he, like, he has I he has done some weird stuff. I, I think I think Harbaugh's shortcomings are more from his uh, just antics Pre- and the preparation. Kinda, yeah, yeah, the preparation portion of everything. Because yeah. I don't think he's I actually don't think he's a bad day, game day coach for the most right. part. Like I think he's good. For the he most hasn't part. been as good at Michigan in recent years as he was at Stanford. Yeah. I will say sure. that. sure, sure. I will say that. But yeah, I mean, this is a n- no conversation for me though, Brian. Like James Franklin is like it's a one A one B for me. I'll, I'll yeah. put Harbaugh at top, whatever. And then it is James Franklin. <laughs> like James Franklin's bad, man. It's not good. It's not yeah. good. Yeah. Great recruiter, great person. It seems, but like mm-hmm. game day coach, nah. He nah, seems nah. like a great person. He's <laughs> well, yeah. He 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 portrays himself as a great person, yes. I should say, yes. or a nice person, I should say. Yeah. Yes. But game day coach, no. Nah. Yeah. Nah, nah, nah. Ain't having it. That's how a team with all that talent goes eleven and eleven over the course of two years. Yes. Yes. Coach Koch says, hey, Coach, how would you feel about doing a segment that covers players' post-Notre Dame careers? I would love to talk about how they are playing in the NFL, USFL, et cetera. That's just never going to be something I'm, I'm going to do, to be honest with you. It's a message board conversation. Uh, to be honest with you, for me, Ryan, it's just no, there's two reasons why. Right, Number one is personal. I just don't follow the NFL. And so uh, I just can't really talk about what guys are doing. I'll pay attention to Notre Dame guys, but not. it's not like I'm watching every game Zach Martin plays or Quentin Nelson plays, you know. Right. Uh, and then the other part is, it's just no, it just, it, I've, we've tried that stuff in the past, you know, like Irish and the pros, stuff like that. And it just, nobody reads it. You know, we, we did NFL draft stuff of Notre Dame players. Nobody watched it. I mean, they were just our lowest performing things are always trying to look at Notre Dame players and the pros. It's strange. Uh, I don't, strange. I can't explain it, uh, but it's just how it is. You know, it's like once kids stop playing for your team, they stop paying attention. I don't know why that is. I don't know if other teams are like that, too. I just know with with Notre Dame fans, it's been like and it's been like that when I was at BGI. I mean, you know, it was it's been that way for a long time. I don't know why, but Coach Koch, you're in the minority of people that want that want to talk about that, unfortunately. And uh, I don't know, maybe it's because they haven't had a lot of great NFL players. I, You know, but even then, it's like I hardly ever hear Notre Dame fans talking about Harrison Smith. I hardly yeah. ever hear Notre Dame fans talking about Zach Martin, you know, unless it, it's a relevant topic. So I, unfortunately, it's just not some people are all that interested in. Cause if people were interested in it, I'd have Ryan do it, mm-hmm. you know, cause he does watch NFL, but it's just not, there's just other things I want him spending his time on because it just, nobody's going to read it. And it doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a business owner and we got to do things that we do enough stuff that, that we know aren't going to make a ton of money because we like to do it. That's just one that I'm not going to. I'm not going to go there on, at least not right now. John A1 says, what is going on in the middle of the offensive line? Was it just Ohio State was the much better up the middle, or or was it a lot of fixable mistakes? I, I think it's a lot of fixable mistakes, Ryan. And yeah, Ohio State played well. Notre Dame's mm-hmm. offensive linemen made them look better than they yeah. – even, even better than they were with how they played. Not moving their feet, that's fixable. 
not using your hands correctly, that's fixable. You know, doing a better job of getting off, seeing things on the second level, linebacker fires and stunts and stuff like that. All it's all fixable, but just mm-hmm. because something is fixable doesn't mean it's going to get fixed. We need to see it get fixed. I think right. getting Jared Patterson back at some point will help. But even if he doesn't come back, that group, there's too much talent in that group for them to play as bad as they did on Saturday night, in my opinion. There was one play in particular that I saw not only during the game, but on film afterwards. And also someone posted on Twitter of, I forget number 51's name, the defensive tackle from Ohio State that had a couple nice plays. I forget his name. But there was one play where, Zeke Corral was running inside. It was an inside zone play. Zeke Corral attacked his upfield shoulder. And it's just simply that 51 attacked Zeke Corral's inside shoulder. So the, so the weak side shoulder of Zeke Corral. And I just felt like, honestly, it was just a bad angle and it was bad hand placement. And that's why he lost the rep. And his, his feet also got stopped on contact a little bit. Right. So all three of those things, John are fixable, right? Like you work on angles every day. That's fixable. Hand placement is very fixable. And then the last one, of course, is that you need to run your feet on contact. What is what does Harry Heastan do the most in practice, Brian? Finish through the play, finish through mm-hmm. contact, finish, 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 right? All those three things were evident on Zeke Carell. I don't think Zeke Carell, to your point, I don't think he lost reps during that game per se because he's not strong enough or he's not athletic enough. I think there's was some plays where hand placement was an issue. Angles were an issue or finishing were stopped using their look. Here's the thing. If you're going against a good player, that's your similar to you in size and you stop your feet and he doesn't, you're going to lose. Yes. That's just, I mean, that's just going to happen. That's just physics. I mean, if you stop your feet and he's still driving his feet, you're going to lose unless you're Quentin Nelson. I mean, that's the reality of it. I mean, so it's a fixable thing and it needs to get fixed because that was really frustrating really frustrating for me yeah all right we got some more here uh jason rose says hey guys i know it's uh, early but it really feels like avery davis injury could be a bigger impact than initially thought his ability to get open early will be missed i mean look i would have rather had him doing the things that they had matt salerno doing so yes if that sure if their game plan was to use a veteran player to do those things then yeah and not having avery hurt them but to me again that's more of a coaching problem than it is a player problem uh, yes, Avery Davis is going to hurt you early, Jason. And I think your point is correct. But my whole point is you're right, though. It is early. Guys are growing into roles that up and you know, up until the first couple weeks of fall camp, Avery was handling. But I don't think that's the reason they lost. I because if they had to run the same game plan on Saturday and Avery Davis played in it, it doesn't make one ounce of difference, in my opinion. Not one. Yeah. You know, I just it just doesn't. So I think it was a game pan. Like Matt Salerno played like eight or nine snaps on Saturday. And he got yeah. targeted too much, you know, one one time too many. But he made a heck of a play on the one time he was targeted. You know, maybe Avery makes that catch. Maybe maybe Avery doesn't make that catch, but he makes the later one instead of getting an offensive pass interference. Well, the reality is, is you only got three points if he doesn't make that other catch because Salerno's first catch set up a touchdown, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so – I just don't think, and again, the other guys were getting open. Like, here's a comment that that D Rock ninety said, and and yes, the offensive game plan failed, but more concerning is that they didn't adjust. That's what is concerning me. This is why you need to go listen to our upon further review from Sunday night, D Rock. They did make adjustments. Um, we went through it, and and I didn't see a ton of adjustments live, but this is why we do upon further review. We do upon further review because 
you can go back and look at things and say, hey, I watched the game and that's not kind of how it played out live, right? And there were adjustments in the second half. They spread the field a little bit more formationally in the second half. Uh, they took more shots down the field in the second half. They did some different things like that where they tried to isolate guys on the nickels and the safeties, which ended up getting guys open, but the protection wasn't there. So there were adjustments. We went through them. We broke them down. There was a lot more adjustments than I thought watching it live, but they weren't executed. And so it's like the Oklahoma State game. Oh, they didn't make any adjustments in the second half. Yes, they did. They made adjustments. They just didn't work. Now, you can argue and say and be critical of, well, the adjustments you made didn't work. That's fair. And that's a very fair criticism. Uh, you know, because again, it's one thing to draw up a pass play that you think is going to work, but if you can't protect it, then it's not an effective play, right? And they weren't able to protect. So, you know, I would say if you want to say that, D Rock, like the adjustments didn't work, that's fine. But they definitely made adjustments in the second half. They just they ended up being ineffective adjustments because the offensive line played as poorly as it did and couldn't protect the quarterback. You could also maybe say there's different adjustments you would have liked to see. And we've had this conversation. We've talked about that. There's different things I would have liked to have seen them do. That they That's didn't fair. do. Uh, yeah. Very fair conversation. You know, like, why not, if you're going to use Chris Tyree on Jets, why not, and they're playing a lot of cover one, why not run just darts across the field and then bring Tyree up on a wheel route, make someone climb over top and run with him. Like, there's things that you could have done against what I say was doing that I would have done, but they didn't do them. But they still made adjustments. They just weren't necessarily ones that I personally would have made. That's That's my point. All right, Marcher four five two with a mailbag question: Who should have been the bell cow? Who should be the bell cow moving forward? How many snaps should Salerno see in comparison to Styles, Lindsey, Colsey, Thomas, and Merriweather? So, I don't believe in a bell cow back. I don't, I, especially when you have Audric estimate Chris Tyree and Logan Diggs. If you have a bell cow back, two of those guys are going to be very unhappy. Number one, but more importantly, you're not using two really talented football players, mm-hmm. and so I don't believe they need a bell cow back. Georgia in 2017 with with Nick Chubb was not their bell cow. He wasn't. They balanced the carries out. And we've we've pointed this out before. And so I want to see them using all of their weapons. What I don't want to see, however, is they all three run distinctly different plays when they're in the game. Yes. That I didn't love. That I didn't love, to be honest with you. Uh, So I want to see a better balance of using Chris Tyree in the run game more and then maybe use an Audric estimate a little bit more in the pass game, especially if you're just going to have him pass block. Like there were times where you just saw Chris Tyree step up and pass block. I'm like, that needs to be Audric estimate or Logan Diggs doing that. They're bigger bodied guys. So Ryan, this next one's for you. Next couple are for you. Um, and he asked, what did you see from Bo Bauer in the last game? John a one says, and he had a, re- he had a really nice hit early, but do you think he showed a better feel for the game in comparison to his pass play? It, it looked kind of the same to me, Brian. I don't know if you got different vibes for it, but nope. I, I think it's I think it's hit or miss with Bo Bauer, man. Like there's sometimes where I, I I think he's a little bit of a guesser. I don't think he's a really proactive football player. I think there's sometimes where he makes a good read and he's just going to kind of work his way and, and hit a gap and make a nice play. And then there's other plays where he's just going to hit the wrong gap or he's going to be out of position. Like that's kind of what I saw. And honestly, not to be overly critical of Bo Bauer here, but I also saw the same situation with 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 um with Maris Loifau, mm-hmm. I saw that at times, you know, like there's a little bit of guessing at times and there's over aggressiveness to a, to a degree. Right. So I don't think that that's just a Bo Bauer issue. I think that that was a linebacker issue at times during that football game. So, but to answer the question, I, I think that it's 
it was still relatively the same to me. I, I think that there's a little bit of guessing that happens. I just, mm-hmm. I just don't know if Bo is ever going to be a really proactive football player. Like, I just don't know if he'll ever be that type of guy. But yeah. he can run, he can hit. So there's going to be a role for him. It's just might have to simplify that role a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I yeah. I just think he kind of is what he is at this point in time. And then Irish Shytown asks Ryan, are there any recruits visiting this weekend? There are going to be some recruits on campus, and and this is why you need to be on the message board because there's one recruit in particular who will be here this weekend, and it is a very 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 important important recruit, Ryan. So why don't you go ahead and yeah talk to the people about the uh, visit that the Rams going to be getting this weekend. Yeah, I mean, so if you're on the message board or you're on the podcast regularly, this shouldn't be like breaking news. It it was something that I kind of hinted at a few weeks ago, but Jeremiah Love, 2023 running back out of Christian Brothers in St. Louis, Missouri, is going to be on campus this week. Uh, It's going to be a big, big opportunity, I think, for Notre Dame to potentially close this one if everything goes really well, if we're being honest, right? He's a kid that wanted to get his mom back on campus to meet the coaches, to be able to sit down, break bread was, I think, the the term that he used with me or, or the the situation just kind of to meet them because she hasn't gotten a chance to get on campus. The first time that he went on campus, she had to work. The second time she was recovered from COVID, so she hasn't had a chance to meet the coaches for Notre Dame. So big opportunity to have Jeremiah Love back on campus. There's other 2024 players that don't have offers right now that are the kind of the guys that we have put onto the board that are – that have been verified for this game. But the big one to know, as Brian kind of alluded to, is that Jeremiah Love, top running back target, top offensive target in general, left on the board for Notre Dame, will be on campus for the Marshall game. We're going to answer a couple more questions. Look, there's a lot of good questions. We are going to have a mailbag tonight with Vince. Uh, So uh, a lot of the questions you have now, bring them tonight with Vince. So Vince and I will be doing the mailbag together. I just got confirmation from him uh, that – that he is going to uh, that that he is going to have me on tonight. So a lot of those we'll we'll bring up tonight. Couple things here before uh, we move on. John A. One, do you think playing against bigger players was a problem for Zeke Carell? Do you think it's something he can adjust to? He's been practicing against guys his size or smaller all offseason. The size of the players he's having he's going up against is a problem because of the stuff we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Zeke Carell is smaller ish than other guys, but Zeke Carell's over three hundred pounds. His height is actually an advantage for him as a center, which is why you usually see centers that are a little shorter and stubbier. I mean, it's natural leverage, leverage, right? But you lose that the minute you, this is the whole point. The minute you stop moving your feet, you lose that leverage. That leverage is gone, right? It is. And so that's the thing that, that Zeke needs to do a better job of. That's why you've got to move your feet and drive and really fight. And that's why Harry Heastan practices that every single day because he mm-hmm. understands the minute an offensive lineman stops moving his feet, he's going to lose against a player that's any good at all. And that's right. what's happening. So it's especially problematic when you're playing bigger players. It gets yes. magnified even more, but it's not be it's not that he's just getting out there getting chucked around. Zeke's over 300 pounds. He's not just getting tossed around because he's small, right? He's getting beat because he's not moving his feet. If he starts moving his feet, Zeke will play better. He will. He's a strong kid. He's an athletic kid for his size. He needs to move his feet and use his hands better. Do that, and he'll be a better player, no matter the yep. size of the guys he's going against, in my opinion. And, and when you're when you're a little bit of a smaller guy, to your point, Brian, like you need to have better technique. You know, like if you don't mm-hmm. have good technique, then that's where it becomes an issue. But as long as Zeke Corral keeps good technique, he should be a successful football player. I mean, but that's not just consistent to him that's like any player that's a little yeah. undersized you have to win off a of technique and right last game 
It was not great technique. It needs to be better. Yep. yep. And we have here, too, a question from Archer following up to comment I made. He says, Brian, couldn't that be an argument against Reese as an OC? Looked great on offense for one game last year, and then the offense disappeared. The offense disappeared over the next month is what we're for referring to. So we've talked about this before, Archer, before you jumped on our channel. The big complaint we had last year was Brian Kill was way too involved early, and the offensive line struggled. By the end of the year, Kelly had kind of backed off, and Reese got to do things the way he wanted and the competition went down, and the offense was a lot better. The offense down the stretch was way better than it was early, and that was when Tommy was kind of doing some of the things that we liked that gave us optimism about what he was going to do. It all kind of goes back to having a head coach that's a little bit too influential in what and how you have to go about your business, and I don't know if it's because he's young, and so coaches think that they have to be more involved in it or not. I don't know the answer to that. I don't, I'm not in those meetings. I just know that when they kind of let him do his thing, his offenses have been pretty good for the most part. And so uh, that's what I kind of want to see moving forward. So it's a fair, it's a fair counterpoint, but it, it was, it was over the next month. Once they kind of got past USC and it, it and offense moved the ball pretty well against USC. They had some really stupid drops. Like first drive of the game, they got a field goal. Kevin Austin drops a crossing route that he probably catches and scores. He doesn't drop it. That's some other dumb stuff like that that cost them from really blowing USC out. Uh, but North Carolina, I mean, every time North Carolina scored, the offense would just answer. You know, and then just they blew out Georgia Tech, blew out Navy. And they won their last two games by a combined score of 100 to 14. And it wasn't against like, the, it wasn't like where, you know, well, yeah, you beat Auburn 30 to 10, but then you scored 70 against Savannah, you know, Savannah State, right? And they they played against Georgia Tech and Stanford. That's still power five football teams. And they won 100 to 14 in their last two games last year. So I, I it's a fair question if if, if you don't, quite understand the whole context of the season which i'm not expecting you to archer because i mean you're an ohio state fan so it's i'm not it's not a criticism it's just reality but that's something that we did talk about then the last question is from ladarius ryan i thought this was an interesting one Mm -hmm. um michael s what's the chance that this is a ball state kind of game it won't be that ball state game was one of the dumbest things i've ever seen you will not see marcus freeman practicing his third and fourth strings this week in practice like they did that week so no it will not be like that it will I'm trying to like I'm that. trying to remember how that game went. Twenty four sixteen. They just it was. I don't even want to talk about it. Just, I do. Just, I do remember. I do remember. Uh, yeah. Ladarius Martin says Brian and Ryan, who wins Alabama twenty twenty squad or LSU twenty nineteen squad? I think LSU twenty nineteen wins by double digits. Yes. And yes. and look, um, let me just state my case why. Yeah. I think the Alabama offense in twenty nineteen was phenomenal. I think that defense was mediocre at best, and and in my it, 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 they just were. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a team that gave up 48 points to Ole Miss and couldn't stop the run. This is a team that gave up four – I mean, just got absolutely destroyed by Kyle Trask. Kyle Trask. Now, I think the game would have looked a lot like it did in 2019 when they played in 2019 in Tuscaloosa. It would have been a close game, a high-scoring game, but one where LSU controlled the whole game. And, yeah. and Alabama kind of came back late. You know, LSU jumped out to a big lead. Alabama came back. I think the LSU defense in 2019 was better than, and I, and I know that the, our, our resident Alabama fan disagrees with that, uh, but I think that defense was better. I think Alabama benefited from some COVID stuff that year, to be completely honest with you. Uh, their yeah. yards per play were almost identical, but you know, to me, I thought LSU by the end of the year was playing at a level that I've never seen a team play in my opinion well down the stretch lsu's defense played really well early on in the season like middle part of the season there were some hiccups but like down the stretch 530 to texas in game two yes correct 457 against florida 
Right. Uh, they gave up a lot against Ole Miss, but then 304 against Arkansas, 169 against AM, held held, held Georgia to 286, held Oklahoma to 322, and then held Clemson to 394. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it, when it mattered most, that defense played really well. Where when you look at the Alabama defense, they gave they got shredded in the SEC title game. Shredded. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Kyle Trask ripped them apart that game. Yeah. And with all due them. respect to Kyle Trask and, and Kyle Pitts and Antonio, uh, or uh, what was his name? The Tony kid was in that game K- too. Kadarius Tony. Kadarius yeah. Tony. Yeah. Uh, that's, they're not Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. And, you know, that, that team was so loaded with all due respect. So the yeah. best offense I've ever seen in college yes. football is that yes. 20, 2019 yes. LSU team. That was it my was. immediate one too, Brian, is, is like, I think it would have been a shootout and I'll take Joe Burrow in that historic season. Cause that was the best I've ever seen an offense play. So yeah. I'll take Joe Burrow. And their one. defense was not great that year, but it, they mm-hmm. made plays when they needed to make plays. Right. Opportunistic. And, right. Yep. Yes. Very much so. Very much so. So that is going to do it for today's show. Great questions, everybody. We are going to be back tomorrow. Like I said, tomorrow we'll be back at one o'clock for our keys to the game tonight, 6 PM Eastern time. IB nation sports talk. It'll be Vince and me doing a mailbag. So we're going to dive into the mailbag tonight. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think you guys enjoy it. If I didn't get to your question here today, I appreciate you. P- please bring it tonight at 6 p.m. So we'll start our show a little after, a little after 6. You know, that's how we do. We want to give people as much time as they can to get into the channel, and then we'll get started. So make sure you check that out. I'll have my midweek musings out here in a little bit. Got lots more analysis on at ourspringdown.com. Sign up for the message boards. And, hey, we put a lot, we're putting a lot of content now on the CFB Nation channel. So our podcast is putting stuff up. So I put three podcasts up today from the Sporting News guys. So it's the CFB All-America podcast. They kind of recapped some of the big games of week one. They did a preview of the big games from week two. They also did do like a confidence pick. So like the games that they're most confident in. That's some very interesting ones. I had a very interesting take on the Michigan-Hawaii game. So one of the guys took Hawaii uh, with the points, the points, because it's a 51-point spread. And they're just like, yeah, that's an absurd spread, you know. So it was a really interesting discussion and argument. Uh, of course, they talked about Alabama, Texas quite a bit. So make sure you guys are checking that out. Our YouTube channel is over a thousand subscribers, but we're nowhere close to four thousand watch hours, which is what we need to get monetized. So uh, definitely, if y'all could help us out there, spread the word to your other college football fans. Uh, we've had some recruiting stuff going up there from John Garcia Jr. We're gonna put we've put our predictions that we make on our Friday show on that channel. So CFB Nation on YouTube and CFB Nation on your podcast. Make sure you're checking those out. Uh, it's a way for you. It's it's again. It's not a Notre Dame channel. It's Irish Breakdowns College Football channel. We felt that it was better to talk college football on that channel than to have it here, where it kind of would overlap with the stuff we're doing. So make sure you're subscribed. You can find it on Apple Podcast. You can find it on Spotify. It's a CFB Nation. It's the red, white, and blue logo. Uh, so definitely make sure that you 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 follow that. And then, of course, on our YouTube channel. So check all of that stuff out. We appreciate you all very much. Like this podcast. Subscribe to our channel. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. Sign up for the message boards at boards.irishbreakdown.com. And remember, tailgate Saturday. We'll be in the stadium lot. I just got the okay that they're sending me the passes. So we'll be in the stadium lot. So we'll be like right in front of the Notre Dame Stadium in there tailgating. Um, I've had a little bit of a family emergency coming up on my family. My parents said they're still going to plan on coming. Uh, they may not be able to, unfortunately. We'll see how, it, how it's going to go. But either way, we're going to have some 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 fun. We're going to be there. We're going to have some food there. It's going to be a lot of fun. So hopefully by Friday, I'll have an, I'll know for sure if my parents are going to be there because they'll already be on their way and be here. 
Uh, but um, just keep my family in your thoughts and prayers. I don't want to get into it because it's it's not it's not my business to t- sell, tell right now. Uh, but um, you know, one of my one of my fam- close family members is is, is in the hospital right now. So. Uh, back in Virginia. So um, just keep them in your thoughts and prayers. I'd really appreciate that very, very much. So have a great rest of your day, everybody. And hopefully I'll see some of y'all in about three hours on the IB Sports Talk, IB Nation Sports Talk show uh, for our mailbag tonight with VM Vince. Have a good one, everybody. Talk to you soon. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.